Just say what's on your mind. Tell them here and let them be. Well, I got something deep inside of me. I can't hide it anymore. It needs to be so free. There's no time to let this tale get old. No, no, no. It's the best. Hi, I'm your host, David Ngo. I'm a writer, filmmaker, sometimes lecturer, pop culture fan out of Southern California. Uh, you know, one of the kind of underlying things that I wanted to do with this podcast was just to be able to sit and have a conversation with someone uh, without distractions, without devices. Uh, ironically, we're doing it with microphones uh, in our faces and for public consumption, but nonetheless, you know, it's rare now to have an experience where you're talking to someone and your text messages aren't firing off or you're not getting a social media comment on your socials or, you know, you're not thinking about the thing you have to do next, you know, so to be able to sit and have a conversation with someone about a specific story, particularly a story that they never talk about uh, or before and are doing so for the first time is kind of a very, you know, cool and interesting uh, moment and you know I hope that you know you as the listeners get to experience what I experienced when I actually had these conversations which is kind of you know being a part of someone being vulnerable for the first time with a particular moment in their life uh, it's a very you know sort of special experience and it's a privilege and an honor to have these guests be able to do that on this series so you know that's uh, kind of my spiel uh, for an introduction to this episode so i hope you do enjoy it and i hope you continue listening uh thanks so much hey welcome to the show uh, my guest today is a friend of mine who i will explain the origin of our friendship uh, he is many things uh this is alan axiball cordero hello it's weird huh because like we just talked in a conversation, but now it's a performance, and you have to. <laughs> it's not a performance, you have man. To explain it to the people who are listening. Well, no, see, now Alan, I'm gonna explain. I'm gonna give a little bit of context to who Alan is. Alan is a performer, yeah. uh, has a theater and acting background, and also uh, currently is a professor of speech and debate um, locally in the LA area. So, <laughs> so Alan has sort of i kind of want to okay i i know how i want to describe you as versatile okay i that, like that yeah that's kind of like, like a, i've always kind of thought of you as like a versatile person like have a lot of interests mm -hmm. a lot of, like a lot of skills mm -hmm. as well uh and i think that kind of ties into when we first met which was this is very hollywood but i auditioned on, for you right? yeah on yeah. an audition yeah so <laughs> yeah, I went on an audition. super hollywood but we, i remember that audition yeah it was a, we did a, a 72 hour shootout short film contest mm -hmm. uh so we were kind of crewing up our cast and crew to do a film that we would get the prompt for like that friday and then we'd write that story on friday and then yeah. on saturday we'd film and sunday we'd edit and turn it in and and so we needed to cast uh, we decided 
our team decided to pick four actors that we felt could do comedy or drama or anything because we didn't know what the prompt was. So, yeah. so then, yeah, I remember, I remember you auditioned and I remember that we had to do basically odd improv in- exercises yeah, because yeah, was it the baby one? The baby one is the one I remember the most because I, I don't remember what the, if there was a comedy one or if you had me read some lines, but then you had me, you had me pretend that the baby like did not do well when it came out of the womb or something. We like had, that. yeah, we had a very, I, I don't even know if it's like, you could do this anymore, but we had, cause we needed a, we needed a litmus test. So yeah. we had everyone pretend to deliver a baby in three different scenarios. Oh, so, yeah. so it was like a funny scenario. It was like a horror movie scenario. And then it was like a, like, a, like an alien baby. Yeah. 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 Something like that. And I, then, thought, I thought it was like a dead baby. scenario. <laughs> no, I don't really think serious. I don't think we went dead, but I think we did go like dramatic or something yeah. like not quite like dead, but I think that's where the, Maybe the alien baby was trying to, yeah. But okay. everyone had different interpretations right. of it, so, um, so that was kind of our litmus test, and then yeah, and then you know, we were happy to have you, and then you and I have done a couple projects since. Yeah. Uh, I remember so the one we did was like a romantic comedy, which the bacon wrap date one. Yeah, it was called Bacon Wrap Date, and uh, it like many things that have happened in my career that that short film was the highest viewed movie really on an app that no longer exists <laughs> <laughs> that like went out of business well i've got the dvd at home somewhere. yeah yeah it, it went out of business after like two years but at the time because we would get these reports and it was like the highest viewed movie and here here's the fun fact that i don't think you know hmm. um the most views were from russia no way yeah <laughs> And now we're in this like kind of period in our society where Russia's like super into yeah. American stuff. Yeah. Like they in got, a bad way. In a bad way. Yeah. So so back then it was a, a good way. So you had Russian people That's watching. Strange. Imagine. You, yeah, being popular in Russia like, back people, in like 2000 and like what was that? Tw- 10, 11? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, like, yeah, you're, you were big in Russia for a two-year period. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so that's kind of. Alan, uh, I, I do want to mention that, uh, very fashionable. Yeah. Thanks. Always. I'm trying. Natural though. Like, like a naturally fashionable person. You make it, you try to make it look natural. It's a lot of work. It's like a duck, you know, up top, just smooth and chilling, but underneath (laughs) your feet are just like, oh my my God, keep going. Hope nobody (laughs) notices. It's kind of like that. It's, it's a lot of, (laughs) it's a lot of. Paints. I'm really bad at making choices. I, I don't mean that I make bad choices. I mean that it takes me a long time to make choices. I'm okay. really indecisive, and my wife is just she hates it the most because she knows she exactly what she wants. So when it comes to making a fashion choice, like am I going to wear this hat or not? Am I going to wear this shirt or these shoes or not? There's so many things you can put on your body, and each one becomes this this really um, torturous choice for me sometimes when the stakes are high. You know, if I'm just heading out, whatever. But if the stakes are high, everything everything down to the smallest detail becomes torturous. <laughs> and it takes me sometimes a week or two to plan like every detail. Oh my God, this is like behind the curtain. It's really just the choices. I just have to make a decision. And I'm okay. always second guessing myself. Uh, nice haircut, by the Thanks, way. Thanks, dude. Brand new style. Yeah, I actually tried it in January. It took me six months to kind of figure out what I wanted to come back to it. I'm, if, for those who don't know, I shaved the side of my head. It's very like a modern, you know... Uh, male 
haircut these days. It is. Yeah. Yeah. A part on the side, shave that side. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, not just in uh, not just in L.A. where we are located, but uh, I'm gonna say worldwide. It's pretty popular. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so here's a portion of the show where Alan is about to tell his best story that he's never told. Uh, this one is very blind. I, I actually don't know what Alan's going to talk about, but I do know that it's going to be really well told and eloquent because <laughs> Alan is a professor of speech and debate. That's a lot of weight to put on you before you start. That's right. Okay, so... I can try. I can, I'm going to do my best. Alan is a, a horrible storyteller. Oh, There's thanks. The stakes are super low. I'm not expecting <sighs> much. I'll probably have to carry <laughs> the, the whole conversation. So, um, yeah, so... Here's just some mediocre tale. I think you... Is that too low? That was a little insulting. (laughs) Okay. Just kidding. I'm fine. I'll start on that. Here's a great story that is totally casual in its telling with no pressure. And we're just wearing shorts and t-shirts. Yeah, we are. Yeah, it's just like it's two guys... With our shoes off. With our shoes off telling a story that... Some tea. With with and I have tea, tea and water and it's gonna be great. Yeah. No pressure. Okay. So, can't shall I start? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drink your water. Mm-hmm. I'm just narrating for the listeners. When it's so, best story I've never told. I would I can definitely say that it's this. This is not a story that I tell to just anyone I meet. It's not it's exactly like oh you know it's a family gathering or it's a social gathering. Let me tell this story. Right. This is a really. And to do that, because it had to be the best story I've never told, it either had to be super embarrassing or it had to be super personal. Um, and I do have embarrassing stories. They just, I didn't think that they were long enough. <laughs> so I'm going to tell the super personal one. Wow. Okay. With some, I think, with some nice, uh, funny, but not so embarrassing moments. So this story uh, is about my dad. And it's a really specific time. So obviously, I, I'm not going to tell the story, of, the entire story of my dad. I'm just going to tell the story of my dad from when. I first met him from when I was born to the day that he died. So that's about a 30, 33 year period, uh, which doesn't include his entire life. Um, starting at the real, real way beginning. So you need to know first off that my mom and dad divorced when I was maybe three or four. Um, and I don't, my first memories of my dad, if I reach really far back, all had to do with uh, him. How do I put this? Uh, not showing up to places on time. That was his reputation. Okay. So, and I can see why my mom would be kind of, you know, fed up with that. But I remember waiting at a bus stop because we didn't have a car. I remember wait. Well, my dad had the car. Waiting at the bus stop with my brother uh, in Covina, uh, which is somewhere here in Los Angeles, uh, and waiting so long that we decided we're just gonna walk it back. And it was a long ass walk. And halfway through the walk, he shows up. And so, because I have those kinds of memories of him. When I think about when they got divorced, everyone always asks me like, "Oh, how how was that for you? Did you know was it hard for you?" And I always answered no. Like I don't even hmm. I don't remember a moment where I said, "Oh no, I miss him. I don't know where he went." Right? I just remember him not being there and nothing else. Wow. No okay. specific emotional attachment. No specific you know horrific moment for me. Just I just remember him kind of already not being there for the most part. Like he's late to this. Uh, he didn't watch us. There was this one time my brother and I were playing 
and we got outside of the house and we were walking down the block and we were maybe three or four and this stranger sees us and he's just like oh where are your parents you're not supposed to be out here and we're like uh they're in the house right Mm -hmm. and that stranger walks us back to the house what? Yeah, and that's how we got back to the house. That's that's one of my stories. I remember going to the mall, and um, my dad walking so fast ahead of us that we would just lose him. Like I couldn't I couldn't keep sight of him anymore. And the reason why we would lose him is because it was me and my brother. Um, and it, I think this was after my my mom and dad got divorced. But my brother was just not fast enough, and I had a choice. Right, either I stay with my dad or I stay with my brother. And so I would be yeah. the in between, right? And so I, I kind of, I just keep eyes on my brother until, until I lost eyes on my dad. And I wow. feel like I have to, no, nope, I got to stay with my brother instead, because just I don't know what's gonna happen to him if he gets lost. And so we would just be lost there together, waiting for my dad to just kind of realize that he couldn't see us anymore and come back for us. Uh, and then there was one time where he just left us. It was at a Toys R Us, and he was just like, I'm gonna be gone for like just you know a little bit. But play, right? You'll be fine. Just play. Okay. And we were in the Toys R Us. We were playing. We were just like, okay, we're playing at Toys R Us. And we're not three or four anymore. We're older, but I'm not like, I'm not 11 or 12 either. I'm, you know, somewhere in the between that range, maybe five or six, maybe seven. And I remember uh, a woman, one of the store people coming yeah. up to my brother and, uh, well, kind of looking at us, right? And yeah. like, where are those kids' parents? I, I got that feeling. What's, what's happening? I had enough, I had enough awareness to know, oh, she's going to ask us where my dad is or where my mom is. Yeah. And I'm going to have to say they're not here. And so I'm just going to have to, you know, and she's not going to like that. So I kept trying to avoid her. I kept trying to push us into a different aisle and she kept following us into the, the other aisle until finally she caught up with us and said, you know, where's your, where are your parents at? And I had, I didn't know how to lie. I wasn't really good at it. I'm still not good at it now. And so I just said, he, uh, we're here by ourselves. He, huh. <laughs> we're, just, Whoa. we're here by ourselves. They're, they're, you know, they're off doing something else. And then they took us to security, right? And we were with the security guards. And eventually my dad got us from the security guards. And I remember him saying, oh, I thought I'd never see you guys again. And I didn't get mad at him. I just thought, well, you know, we made it. <laughs> we're back. <laughs> you, saw, you saw us again. We're okay. But there's, I, when I think back at how young we were, uh, I, and I think back at how indifferent I was to those situations because I just didn't know any better. I can see why I was indifferent when, you know, he didn't show up or when they got divorced. And that's not to say that we didn't have good times. Um, I'm a Laker fan because of my dad. When we hung out with him, um, when it was his weekends, we basically just watched Laker games. And I wasn't even that into basketball, but I got into basketball. I could tell you. I knew everything about Vladi Divox, you know, that big flopper. I knew everything about that <laughs> whole time period in the uh, in the 90s when the Lakers were, were playing. Um, not a good period, no, <laughs> by the way. No, and it was frustrating for my dad because he really liked the, yeah, that yeah. team, but he would just, we would never win. And, I, and you know, Jordan was big at the time, and I was just like, why aren't we not into the Bulls? <laughs> he was like, because we're in Los Angeles. We love the Lakers. And so I got a real sense of what loyalty meant in terms of a team. Right, yeah. Uh, and I really came to love basketball. I played it. He liked to play it. We liked to play it together. Uh, and so I learned that from him. And we had, he's a really charming guy, actually. He was always really funny. So there were a lot of times that we spent together where um, if we weren't being left alone <laughs> or being forced to watch a Laker game, we had a lot of fun times. Like he would wake us up playing the Rocky theme song. 
because he thought this is going to get them like energized and we didn't really we hadn't seen rocky yet but i felt like this is this is cool like this energy because mm-hmm. the music's cool and uh he was he was just always fun to be around for the most part so that's that's my childhood with my dad it's complex it's you know when i look back at it now it creates complex feelings for me of like oh that was fun and that was not cool yeah. at the same time so in high school uh my dad found this self-help group i won't name who they are but he it was it was a little culty but mm. it was a little culty because they really were hard on recruitment but damned if it didn't like make him better interesting and damned if it didn't create a better relationship for us he even paid for me to do this weekend long thing uh, this seminar and I was there I, it was a whole weekend I was like 15 and I literally was there from like 8am to 8pm with all these other kids going through this self help seminar and by the end of that seminar uh, you're supposed to have these breakthroughs and okay. I felt like I had a breakthrough and that breakthrough led to a breakthrough with um, my relationship with my dad and we got really really close Wow. For a short period of time, about a couple of years, while well, he was really into that, and he got me into it. The tough part, though, was they, again, were heavy on recruitment. I had to bring my friends in. I had to bring, you know, other relatives in. And when I tried, my friends got really mad at me. And, you know, my, my family was like, uh, and my closest uh, friends were, and my even my teachers were like, this is a pyramid scheme. Like, you know, I'm not going to go to your thing. You should get out of it. And so I was conflicted again. I had this kind of same dissonance of, but it does good things for me and my dad, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, I, they, they really did not like it at all. So after a couple of years of that, he left that organization. And of course, I wasn't into it either. Uh, and, then, and then we grew apart again for mm. like a, quite a long time. There was a, a period in my 20s. I was just working. That's about, I was just going to college and god i couldn't even tell you from between 20 to 30 that whole 10 year period i couldn't even remark on a single eventful relationship with me and him until i got married that wow. was I, I couldn't i couldn't recall a single story with you that stood out i couldn't recall oh that's this birthday i had with him uh his birthday it was just i maybe saw him four or five times a year for you know special events and yeah that was kind of it um that's, and then that's crazy it is it is right can you yeah. i mean if you think of your own parents you're probably closer with them you could probably think of like oh remember that time we vacationed to here remember that thing that we did there but i i have a whole 10-year period that's just blank and then i got married yeah, yeah. i which i was there you were there thanks yeah. for inviting yeah. me by the way no that, that's I like you guys had fun right that was a good wedding right Super fun. Yeah. <laughs> we had a blast, but you know, I feel like people who are getting married always like have a great time at their wedding. Well, it's just uh, I. It's just crazy because like I, I obviously I saw your dad there. Yeah, but I didn't know anything that you've just told me. Really? Oh yeah, I at mean, all? Would right? right at all? Nothing. Like I, I only know you in this context of the arts yeah, yeah. and um, Apple watches, <laughs> which is all we talk about when we meet up. Like, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. and waffles. Remember when we had two, we had waffles twice for breakfast that day. That's right. We tried to do uh, an old guy hangout, yeah. which had consisted of eating waffles. And then <laughs> we capped it off with more waffles. Yeah. That was fun though. That was good. That was funny. Cause you, it was funny when you thought something was 
wrong with me, which is why we like hung yeah. out. And I was like, no, nah, I just never hang out with anybody. That, yeah. And <laughs> like, usually it's you, it's all of us. It's you and your wife and me and my wife, we're all hanging out. So yeah, yeah. we want to hang out alone. I thought, oh, maybe he wants to tell me something. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. It was happening. just like, I knew you were free. Yeah. And I was free. It was like, I, the, there was no deep thought to it. It was just like, oh, it'd be cool to hang out with Alan. I haven't seen him in a bit. Yeah. Uh, Sans family. But then that, that was funny that you thought it was like, I wish I would have just played along with it if I was like more savvy and been no, like, that would have that would have been cruel. <laughs> that been no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go hardcore. I'd be like, oh yeah, we're moving to Paris. Oh yeah, I, I'd go a little like lighter, Something big, yeah, big but light, but not like yeah, not tragic, not tragic. Just like yeah, we're moving to Paris. Well, we, we you just lost won, your opportunity. We won dude. the lotto. Um, wow. Uh, so that's the story of your... No, actually. Oh, oh you know, we're getting we, got to... a, we went on a tangent because of the Sorry. wedding. Sorry, yeah, back back to it. Um, things changed after the wedding a little bit. He was really... I mean, you know, you, you we were at our wedding. You, yeah. You've, you've got married yourself. You've been to weddings. Uh, it's, it's one of those few times in your life where you have to publicly express love to other people, right? Yeah. Like, it wasn't just me and my wife expressing love to each other. It was the people who did speeches for us, right? Like... My brother was just like, oh, I love you. And, you know, yeah, yeah. my wife's brother did the same thing. And my friends uh, did the same thing. Yeah. And I, you also expressed love to your parents. Like, this is the whole, you know, uh, son-mother uh, dance, father-daughter dance. And, you know, you pay tribute to them as well. And uh, he was so moved by that wedding. My God, he would, for every time we saw him, he would always say, oh, my God, that wedding it was so great. You know, and he would just cry. Like, it would be months later. And and so we decided let's get him a small wedding book of photos, right? It was really easy. Like my wife had found something on one of those deals that you find, you know. Sure. And she got him a picture book of like twenty photos, and we we isolated the ones that he was also in, you know, or at yeah. least biased it towards that. And he loved that thing. And every time we saw him, he would just be like, "Oh my god, this wedding!" And he'd just cry again. Uh, and you know, my relationship with my wife, she's really she's really open, and so she having her around uh really helped him i think too so i got married at 30 and he was you know really into this whole, oh my god your wedding's so awesome uh and then he passed away on my 2013 on 82 uh, he passed away about a year or two after i got i got married oh yeah yeah, it was it was really quick too. So there was we'd have meetings with them. He'd be really emotional about the wedding and cry, and then one day I got a phone call from a hospital. And it's not the first time I got a phone call from a hospital about him. He actually got in a car accident when I was in high school, um, a really bad one. And I got a phone call, and they're like, "Are you you know this guy's son?" And I said, "Yeah." And they said, "You need to come over to this hospital in Long Beach because he got in an accident." And I remember having to visit him. I was really worried about him, obviously. Okay. Uh, but I also felt this weird kind of indifference uh, a little bit. Yeah. But the uh, the worry, and going back to high school, the worry kind of turned into annoyance because uh, it's a Filipino thing, but he expected me to go out there to Long Beach and just kind of take care of him like all the time. Okay. And he led this life where he didn't really have a lot of other people to do that for him. So either me and my brother, both of us, would just drive down there. And that was a long drive for us to Long Beach from um, basically <clears throat> like Pomona, right? Oh, that is far. And so that just became, yeah. a, a, it became a burden, you know? 
So this was the second time in my life that I got a phone call about him and from a hospital, and I thought, okay, this is probably not good either. Uh, and so I went to a hospital. This time it was close to Northridge, and he had just been diagnosed uh, with pancreatic cancer. Mm. And the other thing my dad got into in when I was in my 20s is he, got, he actually had his own podcast show. It was about uh, health. I forget the the name of it, but it was literally about like uh, living the you know your best healthy life. And he was really huh. into like alternative medicines, and he was really into uh, helping people with cancer. And so when they said because of that background and because I'd heard him to speak to other people who had cancer, when they said pancreatic cancer, like I knew right away that he was this was not going to end well. And not only that, but that it was going to end quickly. Mm. I brought my he was being my wife went to visit him and uh we were just sitting there on a bench when he told us but he was really optimistic like he was in that denial phase you know okay and he said i feel fine i don't know i know i have this thing but i'm gonna beat it i'm i feel great uh but there was this moment where it hit my wife like what he was going through like what this was and it was my dad me and my wife and my wife hugged me and in hugging me she also kind of forced me to hug him, if you know what I mean. Like she was pushing me towards him okay. so she could hug him too. And she just started crying. Uh, and, and my dad started crying too. He couldn't keep up the whole like, I'm going to be okay thing. Yeah. And um, I brought my brother to visit him. And after we visited him, he obviously, he my dad told him the diagnosis and my brother seemed indifferent too i never knew how my brother felt about my dad we didn't talk about that a lot or yeah. anything yeah so yeah it didn't seem to affect him that much so when we were at, we went to go eat afterwards at like a restaurant you know like a like a cheesecake factory or something i think and uh he just seemed fine and i said chris do you know like do you know the prognosis for pancreatic cancer and he said no and i said it's not good like he's it's it's fatal like 90% of the time and it's fatal within five months like it's gonna happen fast and he he kind of said oh and he didn't we didn't say anything else after that it kind of just I don't think he knew yeah so God, that must have been in that must have been in in June or July uh, when he we got that diagnosis and he passed away about two months later really oh really my fast gosh. yeah yeah it was complicated too because that relationship man my mom I, a lot of the anger i get from my mom too it, when i did have anger she when she found out that he had cancer she was pissed hmm. i know right what a strange reaction she was just pissed because uh he didn't you know when they got divorced he never paid any you know, like child support or anything like that so her thought was i'm never gonna get any of that money he had promised like a lot of stuff to me over the years uh, and oh, it's all wow. just going to go away. And, you know, and she, I felt like, I think she also felt like he had this expectation that we were going to take care of him. And she was pissed about that too. Hmm. So for a while, uh, you know, we would visit him in the hospital. Then they released him in the hospital and he was, he got this place in Northridge from a friend. It was this empty kind of condo, you know, like a one bedroom condo. Okay. And there was no furniture in it. It was just it was just an empty condo. There was obviously a space that this guy had been waiting to rent on, but because he was close friends, he decided I'll let you stay here. And so we would visit him there about once a week and help take care of him a little bit. 
Um, and my mom was just like, and I, I remember to ask my mom, like, do you think I should take him? I got a house. It's a small house, but he, you know, he can't, we have a spare room. And she was like, she was like, nah, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? She didn't yeah. say nah, but she was like, you're going to want to sell that house. I know you are. You're going to want to sell it in a couple of years and you're going to have a hard time selling it if he dies in that house. That's kind of her, that was her sentiment. Yeah. And... I remember feeling kind of guilty about that and thinking, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to let him stay in that apartment by him, that condo by himself in Northridge. But then it got really bad. It got really, really bad. Like he couldn't, when we first got diagnosed, he was walking around, he was doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah. But then a month, just a month later, he was, he was just not, he couldn't move. And I told him like, I, I'll, I'll take you to my home. I'll do it. And he said, oh yeah, you know, and and I asked the doctors about it to call them, and they said to me that at that point it was, they were like, "Don't bother," you know, like wow. it's gonna hurt him too much to to have to transport him. And I tried, I I tried just getting him out of the house just to go to a doctor's appointment. I didn't have a wheelchair or anything, so I I was, the one thing in that condo was this literally uh, a desk chair, the rolling one. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And I i carried him i put him in that chair and it was a it was a two-story too so i had to like carry him down the stairs it was really hard um and i put him in that rolling chair just to get him to the car and it was so hard just to get him in the car and just to get him out of the car uh to that to the doctor's appointment just so the doctor could say yeah you we've confirmed you have you know stage four pancreatic cancer and it's in these other places too right and there's nothing you can do and i like why did i come all the way over here and go through all that trouble just so you can tell me what we were already know and I knew after that appointment that like transporting him just home would be really hard too. So sorry that this got all. This is the story, uh, and this is why I don't tell it to other people. But no, nah, man, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, no, I mean like because I don't. Yeah, maybe I'll I'll bail you out a little bit. Cause it's <laughs> no, it's, it's okay. definitely got a little. It's it's emotional and complex. Yeah, because there's, I mean, to me as like an outsider, uh, in this case, I, I didn't know any of this. Um, it's like your, you know, your your indifference was probably some type of defense Maybe. coping system, right? And then you're faced with this like, basically your dad's last days, yeah. and what do you do? Like, do you stay involved? Do you just, yeah, I'm gonna. He had his moment at the wedding. He got to have his memory, or do you like? try to do something right yeah. and it, and you took the decision to try to do something yeah a little a, late though or or maybe you there was not much you could do anyways yeah um well i guess i kind of can see why you wouldn't tell this story <laughs> yeah. you know like that's kind of the, the standard question that i would ask most guests when they tell a story but you you told this whole narrative from birth till you know yeah. his his passing. So I kind of get why you would keep that close it's, to the chest. Well, um, there's a small epilogue to it because there's the whole the funeral was weird too. There's I was there when he finally did die. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone pass away. It's not it's it's strange. It's really strange. Sort of. Yeah. 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 And you know he wasn't he was 59. It's, you know, it's not like... Oh, that's he was, young. He wasn't like 80, he wasn't 90, oh, he was 59. That's young. I know. Yeah. And I, it was me, it was my brother, it was my mom, and it was this close friend of his too. 
there's so many complexities that I can't get into everything, but no, no, no. He, I had a hard time saying something nice at the funeral too. That was the hard. I think of all the things when he when he when he passed away, I remember my wife crying. Like in that moment, I remember my brother crying, and I just remember thinking, I can't I can't cry in this time. Like they're they're having a hard time. I'm not gonna. I gotta be not that I have to be strong for them, but someone has to move this along. You know, someone has to think yeah. about what to do next. And I didn't cry, and I've honestly never cried about his death. And in his at the funeral, I had just this weird complex again. Like, is it rage? Is it anger? Is it disappointment? Is it frustration? Is there any love at all? And I remember having to go up to the to the podium to say something and I just remember being silent for like 15 seconds trying Ooh. to think about what to say and I hadn't written anything down I couldn't write it I couldn't figure out yeah. what to say and I ended up telling a couple of stories that I told you including including some nice ones like there was this one about my dad always had crappy cars he was always going from one junk car to the next and that was an advantage one day when we went to a Laker game of course it was the Lakers and yeah. he is trying to parallel park between these two cars and he didn't fit, but he had this Pugo, Pugo. You know what a Pugo is? It's like this yeah. old, yeah. Oh, yeah. What? And he decided, I'm going to make us fit. So he would, he would like, you know, back into one car, push it back, back into the car in yeah. front of him, push it forward until he carved out a little space that we parked in. Yeah. By literally pushing these other cars around. And Giannis loved that. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> um, but I had a hard time with that. And then I had to do one last thing for him, which really made me mad. I did one last thing. His one last request was to bring his ashes back to the Philippines. And that's a big, long-ass trip. That, Yeah. Yeah, it's a Ooh. big, long-ass trip. And so he passed away in about July, August, and we didn't really make the plans to do that until March. Okay. Right? So a couple sure. months later. And here's where the story takes a turn for me. So I'm not quite done. I told you this was a long story. I hope you have time. We got um, time. We okay. can keep rolling. Just, uh, I got no advertisers. So you've you've heard all my <laughs> <laughs> we, commercial free, baby. We can go. We can go all day. Well, you've heard. It's nothing but complex, weird feelings, right, going on. There's and very yeah. little love in that space, too. Yeah, yeah. We get to the Philippines. I'm meeting the family on my dad's side, which I don't have a relationship with at all because my dad's not good at that. I only know my mom's side. Uh, and we go to the place where we drop off his, you know, his ashes. And we spend some time there with my, my family on my dad's side. And uh, it's nice. It's only about three or four days. And on the last day, they take me to this restaurant. Uh, and Filipinos love to sing, right? So there's these live singers. And they're good. They're okay. really good. Uh, and we're eating at this restaurant. I'm thinking, I'm just going to be glad to go back home. This has been nice. But the Philippines is hot. <laughs> it's crowded. Let me just get out of here. And then, and then this song starts playing. It's, uh, I think it's Luther Vandross. It's like one of those, it's that one song about dance with my father again. Oh, you know I, what I mean? I, oh, and I'm just like, oh, I'm like, fuck this song, right? I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna get into this song. Oh, I know. Oh, that song gets emotional. It gets emotional. Oh, right? yeah. And I, yeah. I didn't get into that song, but I thought, fuck that song, right? I, yeah. I could just get tell you the state that I was in. And then it went on to this other song. And all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed with this emotion. Not like sadness. I literally felt like, and I got, 
I'm not a spiritual person, by the way. You need to know that. But I literally felt like my dad, uh, during that second song, said, was literally next to me and said, thanks for bringing me. Like, this means a lot to me. I, I swear I heard it, like, as clear as day. And I swear I felt like a hand on my back, just, like, as if he was there. And in that moment, um, every, everything that I was, all that, all the frustration, all the complicated, like, you know, yeah. burdensome feeling, emotion, it was just gone. It was just so gone. And all I could feel was, uh, I, don't, I don't know that I would call it love, but it was not hate. It was maybe a sense of um, gratitude. It was maybe just a just a relief. But yeah. It was not, and I wouldn't say that I missed him. It was just, it was just like I finally found a nice moment with him. You know? Right, right, yeah. A nice moment with him, and and I'd never ever. I was not expecting it. I didn't want it. So I was. It was weird that I. You know that that I. I thought I can't be creating it. It's just definitely not what I was looking for. And I've had two other moments since then that are like that. Um, I was going through a really hard time a, a couple months later, and I just heard it again. I just heard, but it was a different. He didn't say the same thing. He just, I heard him say, "I didn't know you were going through that." You know, like he had never really known what was going on in my life, and it's like he was watching me grow through this hard thing, and realize, oh shit, like. That yeah. was that's this is really hard for you, and it wasn't even related to him at all. It was a work thing, uh, and I heard it clear as day. And I just and I was in a hotel room by myself, and I said out loud, "Yeah, that's what it is." <laughs> like he was there, oh, really talking what? to me, and I I just felt it again. It's like it's kind of it's like you just feel him. It's like I just feel him there, uh, and the something about feeling him there is is uh is nice. It's warm, you know. And then I had one last one, and, it's, and this is the end of this whole story. I was having a dream um, where me and my wife were at this party. It was like a bar or something, and it was it was getting crazy. There were people walking everywhere, and it was not what we where we wanted to be, uh, and we needed to get out, and I couldn't figure a way out. And then all of a sudden, like the the crowd just parts, like someone walk, like in a movie, like someone flashes walks across the camera, yeah, and behind that person is my dad. And he's wearing this orange shirt, which is it's like a long sleeve shirt, and it's something that he would wear. But it, the color made him stand out from everyone else who was wearing black. And I was so surprised to see him because I, in my mind, in this dream, like I know he's dead, but I'm just like, oh, I can't believe that you're here. How did you get here? Yeah. And I, I didn't say all that. I just said to him, like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to get out of here. I don't know. I was just frustrated, so I just said, I don't know what I'm doing. And he said to me. Um, just do what you've always done. Just thrive. And then I woke up crying. I was just like, oh my God. Um, you finally cried. I guess. I don't know if it yeah. was crying about sadness. I just woke up feeling like, uh, woke up, I, I don't know. But I woke up, it was the same warm feeling. I felt like it was the same visit that I've had from him before. And again, wow. I'm not spiritual. I'm not. No. I'm not at all. I, but emotionally, I can't deny the impact that th- these, I don't know what to call them, but the, that these moments have had on me. Yeah. And so that's where it's been since then. Huh. Yeah. That's the story of my dad from when I met him to yeah. 
since he's passed and maybe even a little after that? Um, that was a very complete story. I yeah, told you it'd yeah. be long. I was trying to find a long one for you. No, it was good. No, it had like a full like, like breath of feelings and uh, emotions. I let me let me let me end with this. I'm gonna sure. go. I'll, I'll ask a different final question than I normally would because mm-hmm. I think I understand why you wouldn't tell the story that much. Yeah, because it's very heavy and it's loaded, um, and also, you know, having you know, experiencing some kind of spiritual or supernatural or whatever moment with your father is a very deep and also confusing and also yeah. like a bunch of things. Right. So it's not something you just kind of like throw out at a party. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. This time my dad visited oh, me yeah. after he died. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a cool Apple watch too. Yeah. What well, yours did that? Yeah. Then, you know, yeah, no. um, I'm going to end with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have now learned about your father that I, I, knew nothing about um i knew he was filipino yeah that's all i knew really um how how do you think your relationship with your father has or will affect your relationship with your kids cool that's exactly what what i actually wanted to talk about last boom (laughs) boom (laughs) unplanned that's the beauty of uh i guess this podcast it's i don't know how much time you have for this it's I've always a little bit of time. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, a couple I've, minutes. I've always kind of thought there's always been a small resentment towards him because it's it's like how could you, you know, like how could you leave it? And it's he was kind of forced out, but you know, it's because he was not behaving well. And I always think like why like how do you do that? You know what I mean? Or did you ever like really care about us a lot because you were really late to things or really absent? And being a father now, um, you've seen, you remember that movie AI, the one with Taylor Joe Osmond and Jude Law? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That bit. almost haunts me. Because it really, I think it always, I think it really gets to this, that the the core of how a child feels about their parents. When you're, I, I remember relating to the, the robot, you know, Haley Joe Osmond searching for his mom. I was always like missing my mom. And I don't know if you remember the end of that movie. It's kids really sci-fi, but basically Haley Joe Osman, he's like stuck in ice and some aliens thaw him out. Okay. And then they're like, Oh, okay. We went into your memory banks and, um, your mom is long gone. Right. Uh, and f- for those of you who don't know, like he has, he has a, there's a biological mom, but the biological parents, they, their actual kid gets sick. So they get this robot son to replace him. But then their actual kid gets cured, and they discard the robot son, who's Haley Joe Osmond. So you have this robot kid who just wants his mom, right, the whole time. So anyway, in the end of the movie, uh, the aliens have read, you know, they've looked through his data banks. They're like, okay, you want your mom, and yeah. we want to give you this one thing. We can bring your mom back, but just for one day. Mm. That's all that our technology limits us to do. And Haley Joe Osmond's like, I'll take it. I just want to be with her one more time. And he's got that one day with her. I, I... F- Every day I'm with my kids, I feel like how Haley Joe Osmond, that kid robot, must have felt like with his mom. I feel that every day. Wow. I see my kids and I go, oh my God, like I only have this certain amount of time with you. I need to spend every, and I can't, you know, but I, I love them to death. And I, every moment that they smile and laugh and do something weird or funny or awkward or even frustrating, yeah. I just fucking go, oh my God, like I'm not going to get this moment back. And every day I feel that way about my 
about my kids. Like, I just need this moment. I just only get, it's only 24 hours. I have to make something of it. I feel like it's, I only get a day every day. Um, and I, it made me think back about my dad and he's, there's no way he's this two dimensional character who's just, you know, this evil guy or this, this right. who's a neglectful guy. There's got to be, there had to be something in him that felt that way about me and my brother. And I remember, and I remembered something about him, which was these tapes that he had of me when I was really young. We, you know, we could, when we were first talking and, uh, he didn't have money. So he had those tapes stored in like one of those storage places and mm. that storage place got robbed and, he oh, was, no. and the tape was gone. I remember him talking to me about the tapes and I just like, whatever they're tapes. And I think about that, the thing that he held on to, you know, why he did it. Um, and so to answer your question, like, how does this affect my relationship with my kids? My, it's in a really obvious way. It makes me want to be a better father, but in a less obvious way, my relationship with my kids actually affects my relationship with my dad. Uh, instead of you know vice versa hmm. they kind of make me realize um that he had to have loved you know us uh deeper than my what i've assumed all my life because hmm. i can't imagine being a halfway decent parent and not feeling given how much love i feel for my kids i can't imagine even being a half decent parent and not feeling something like that for your own kids you know so it's a reverse. My kids definitely, I want to be a better father to them for sure. I'm never going to leave them. I'm always going to do everything I can with them and never want them to feel anyway like that at all. But they've made, they've informed my relationship with my dad, hmm. which has been interesting. That's a, that's a nice way to end a very emotionally yeah, uh, up and down. But we're ending with a smile. <laughs> and, that, and that was a great story. Yeah. You know, the initial, if you remember a couple of minutes ago, a lot of pressure. I put a lot of pressure on you. Yeah. And then... And I asked you to tell me a story first before we got yeah. started. That's because I knew I'd be revealing some deep stuff. I yeah. needed something more... Before, I needed something first. Oh, yeah, before we taped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But then, uh, and then I, you know, downplayed too much. But <laughs> great story. No, this is, uh, I feel like I know you and like we're friends, but like I feel like I know you better. Yeah. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, people enjoy... What you had to say, relate to it, you know, take something from it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so with that, I want to thank Alan Axibal Cordero, actor, uh, professor of speech, speech and debate, father, yeah, and husband. Thanks, Our, Dave. Yeah, thanks. The awkward part is saying signing off, so <laughs> I guess we'll say. Do you have a sign off yet? Do you have a signature? Uh, Seacrest out. <laughs> oh no! Oh, I can't. No, no. He's <laughs> no. like he's like me too, right? Uh, no, I can't say that. You gotta have yeah. You gotta have your own uh, thing. Until next time. Okay. All right. That's good. All right. Bye. Hey, I think you want to listen to another one, right? Well, you can do so on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or our website at beststoryinevertold.com. And for those of you who are interested in sponsoring future episodes, we would love it. Contact us at beststoryinevertold at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.